This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the November 23rd, 2017 edition of On the Daily, a road of his podcast brought to you by MyBookie. I'm Heath Kruger. You can follow me on Twitter at HeathK. And joining me tonight is none other than Nick Giffen, the short slate extraordinaire himself. You can find him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, how are things going? And how'd your last week in DFS work out? Hey, Heath, I'm doing great. Um, yeah, I mean, just like what I saw from one of your tweets, uh, we both, look, sounds like we both had great weeks. I yeah. was very close to winning a qualifier, uh, just a couple points short and. Had some very high GPP finishes, so a very profitable week. Uh, definitely my best week of the year. Pretty happy about that. And also came on, off the heels of uh, the last NASCAR week of the season where I crushed the high stakes as well. So it was a very good DFS weekend. No complaints. And uh, happy to have a good DFS weekend heading into the Thanksgiving week. And uh, congrats on your finishes as well. I hear you. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You did pretty well. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I finished first in one of these single entry tournaments. One of the, I don't, I'm not big high stakes guy. Um, but yeah, I was able to take down a, a small single entry tournament for a, a fairly nice score. Um, with a, with a Joe Mixon lineup, I know he's not your favorite, but it was really just kind of the rest of the lineup just really holding him up amongst his uh, amongst his lower score. Keenan Allen, Adam Thielen, and the Jaguars defense are kind of the ones that really uh, pushed me to victory. And that one was kind of nice, my first win of the year. And uh, and yeah, I, I, saw, I think I saw one on your Twitter to where you finished third, and boy, was that, and that was a qualifier, correct, to where that yeah. was at? extremely steep payout of oh boy that would have been nice but oh well yeah i mean that's the way it goes those qualifiers are tough and you just have to put yourself in position to maybe benefit from a little luck or you know if you if you're on the bad side of luck it can cost you a very a large amount of money because it's winner take all but you know in winner take all strategies you have to use some interesting plays as well which is why i use LaShawn mccoy i knew he would be Relative yeah. to Melvin Gordon, he'd be lower owned, and they were the same price range, playing in the same game. Uh, so I, I really liked using LaShawn McCoy. That worked out pretty well. Uh, and then uh, I really actually ate a lot of chalk last weekend. I mean, my stack was pretty chalky. It was Kirk Cousins stacked with Chris Thompson and Jamison Crowder. And you know, both Crowder and Thompson did okay. I mean, Thompson got that touchdown early, but then got injured, unfortunately. And Crowder just had like seven catches for 76 yards or something. So... In terms of value, he did okay, but he didn't really hit his ceiling, anywhere near his ceiling. 
But uh, all of my other plays who tended to be a little bit lower owned uh, actually hit their ceiling, so that was pretty nice. Um, you know, like I said, LaShawn McCoy play. Uh, I had Tyler Croft as my tight end for 2,900. Him putting up nine-something, nine-and-a-half fantasy points was nice. I was really hoping he'd get that second touchdown, which would have given me the, the qualifier win. But, uh, it's, you know, that's, that's, it's kind of like the, the Thanksgiving slate we're going to talk about. Qualifiers, ownership percentage matters a lot because you're going for first place. And in short slates, I mean, yeah, we're always going for first place. But uh, in short slates, there's just less total options available. So if you can find, uh, I guess, you know, some mismatches in the market, it's going to be even more advantageous in a short slate than in a, you know, a 10 or 12 game slate where there's just a lot of plays. And if you just kind of, in some ways, pick the right players, you'll be fine. Now, uh, you know, it, 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 in these really large slates, there's just so many options a lot of times. It's a lot easier to, you know, to build a lineup and you don't have to necessarily rely on the 1% own play. And, and in a short slate, you won't have the 1% own play. But I think ownership percentages are in some ways almost even more important in short slates than in large slates. And that's why I think in like qualifiers as well, taking this approach where you've got some chalk and then some pretty different plays usually ends up working pretty well. So uh, that's that's kind of generally my qualifier approach, and it's not too different, I'm sure, as we'll talk uh, about my Thanksgiving Day approach. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <clears throat> For those interested, we are going to be doing two DFS episodes this week, just FYI. This first one, we're going to talk about the Thanksgiving Thursday slate. We're going to go in-depth on that. And the second episode, it's going to be our normal weekly episode where we go over the, you know, the Sunday slate. And so uh, if you are listening to this one right now, prepare for the Thanksgiving games. And if you're looking for the Sunday slates, you will see another pod up there as well. So go and download that one. So, all right, before we get into everything, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listener's only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our premium NFL content, and it also supports the pod. All right, Nick, before we get into the Thanksgiving slate, we want to cover some general short slate strategy and how it differs relative to, you know, those normal Sunday game slates to where it's like 10 plus games, and there's a lot of um, a lot of options available to you. So, you know, as you know, as everyone knows that's listening to this, fewer games means fewer options like like Nick mentioned, to select from, and ownership percentages are much more condensed. So, Nick, how do you go about altering your strategy to account for this in tournaments? So this is this is actually a pretty fun discussion here because uh, let's go back to this 10 or 12 game slate type thing. You don't need to get every touchdown that's scored in a 12 game slate to win a GPP because obviously you can't. There's way more touchdowns than are available lineup slots. In a short slate, a two or three game slate, you don't just have to get every TD, but you have to get almost all of them, uh, unless you know something really fluky like an expensive guy gets one touchdown and no yards, and, and you know essentially puts up eight or nine points and he's nine thousand dollars. You almost need to get uh, every touchdown, maybe I would say at least two thirds of them uh, in the whole slate uh, to have a, a chance at winning a GPP. Um, and, and it de- depends, obviously, on slate to slate and how many total touchdowns are scored and whether you're playing two or three games. But the idea is you need to make sure you're gobbling up touchdowns and, in, in the case of DraftKings, for example, also 100-yard bonuses if you can get those or 300-yard bonuses for quarterbacks. So those things all become increased importance. And uh, the other thing is ownerships get really condensed, as we talked about. So 
Um, as you guys know, if you've been listening to the pod all year, we like to use Fantasy Labs. We, we partner with them in our plays of the week. And Fantasy Labs always has great ownership projections. Right now, for example, I'm just looking at some ownership projections, just kind of browsing through. And I see a couple guys that are projected up to possibly even 50%. And I had actually personally from experience playing short slates, a lot of short slates and being quite good at them. I think we're going to see some of these guys well over 50%. I think uh, I think a couple guys could... At least one name that we'll get into, I think, will be for sure over 50% uh, and possibly uh, a couple other names as well. So um, I, I think it's uh, just a situation where ownership percentages are, are are kind of mismatched with what the actual range of outcomes are. And that's what you need to identify in short slates is what are the possible outcomes for a game. Now, obviously, the Vegas line is the most likely outcome, but if every game just hit its most likely outcome, we'd all be doing the same thing. So we have to understand what the range of outcomes is, where the market's going to go, and then kind of try to figure out where the range of outcomes is mismatched with the market. And then the other thing you have to do is not just do all that, but then you kind of have to build a storyline around your roster. I find that's kind of the best thing. Uh, maybe there's a game that turns into a shootout. And so not only do you want to get the guys that are that are in a shootout, but maybe you want to get the running back that's favored on the shootout team and the receivers on the trailing team and throw the quarterback on the trailing team. Some kind of storyline to go along with your uh, projected range of outcomes. Because if you're going to if you're gonna say, okay, well, I'm going to fade, and I'm just going to use an example this week, Melvin Gordon... Uh, then what are the range of outcomes of the games where Melvin Gordon doesn't do well? Well, either uh, he doesn't do well and the Chargers are trailing and they have to throw a lot, and so you play Chargers receivers and maybe even Phillip Rivers, or maybe they just do terrible altogether and you kind of just fade the Chargers and you play the Cowboys defense or something like that. So you kind of have to build a storyline around your lineups uh, to, you know, something that makes a lot of sense with the possible ranges of outcomes. And then you might say, okay, well, in my hedge lineup, there's also the chance that the Chargers eat up the 40, or the, you know, the, the Dallas Cowboys on the ground because the Cowboys have really struggled on the ground lately. And so I want to go really heavy on Melvin Gordon. What does that imply for the rest of the game as well? If I do that, am I really going to be able to get a ceiling game out of Keenan Allen? Maybe you still are, maybe, but maybe it's a reduced likelihood relative to Keenan Allen's ownership percentage. So you kind of have to take all of these things and balance them together in a, a short slate like this. Yeah, I love that breakdown. Hey, one question for you. So um, regarding a player like a Melvin Gordon, who I think is predictably going to be one of the higher, if not the highest owned player on the slate, just given the matchup and kind of how the running back position's looking um, in these three games. Um, do you go very polarized or were, are you willing to kind of meet in the middle at that ownership percentage? Um, like, let's say, for example, if we, I'm looking at Fantasy Labs right now, around the 40 to 50% range, are you willing to, are, are you going to go as far as go near 100% on him if you really feel he's in a fantastic spot or on the uh, polar end of that, near 0%. Um, is it going to be that drastic of decisions or are you just kind of, is it less about the the sole player and more about just kind of, like like you had mentioned, crafting a storyline? Honestly, there's two ways of looking at this and I th- it, it, it also also be tournament dependent. If you're playing a qualifier, I think there's much more advantage to uh, either going completely over or completely under if you're multi-entering a qualifier versus you know a large GPP. But even then, even a large GPP where many spots are played out, paid out, I should say, 
Uh, it still depends on your strategy or approach, what kind of a thinker you are, what kind of a, a player you are. Um, so there's two kinds of approaches, and, and I've talked about this a lot on the NASCAR pod, if you guys listen to that, and even on the Numbers Game podcast, Josh Hermsmeyer and I have talked about this, these concepts a lot, but there's two kinds of strategies that I kind of borrow from poker. One is Game Theory Optimal, or GTO, which is essentially saying, like, if Melvin Gordon has a 60% chance of being in the winning lineup, I'm going to play him in about 60% of my lineups. Uh, that would be kind of the, the optimal amount to play him. And if he's not 60% owned, you are going to profit in the long run relative to everybody else. Uh, if he's 40%, then you're going to be uh, happier overweight on him. And if he's 90%, you're going to be happier underweight on him if the actual optimal is 60% chance that he finishes in the winning lineup. That said, if you are pretty, it's a lot easier to predict uh, ownership percentages. I found, at least in NASCAR, it's a lot easier to predict ownership percentages than it is to gauge a driver's specific performance. So, uh, in that case, you know, we don't know if GTO for Melvin Gordon is 40% or 60% or 80%. It might be in that range, somewhere the optimal number, exact number, somewhere in there. We don't know what. But if we know he's going to be 40% owned, then if we go to the 80% part of that range, we're doing something called an exploitative strategy where we're saying we are exploiting the market and the fact that we know they're going to either be underweight on him or at the very bare minimum of his optimal range. And we're going to try to exploit that and go overweight on him. Now, it's far riskier because obviously if he doesn't hit, you're going to be in, in bad shape and those 40% of people that did have him will be fine and, and you're totally screwed. But that's just something that happens. These, that's part of variance and that's part of... Uh, it's just like poker. If you go all in with pocket aces and somebody has jack 10 suited, you're not going to win every time. Sometimes they're going to hit a flush or a straight or a two pair and beat your aces. So uh, you just have to be prepared for those things. But the idea is to approach the slate in the way you feel most comfortable. Um, and, and some people like doing GTO, and I think it's perfectly fine to do GTO. Uh, it just becomes harder because then you're saying, okay, well, there's also like a 2% chance, you know, uh, Travis Benjamin's in the winning lineup, so I've got to play him in 2% of my lineups. And there's a 2% chance Cole Beasley's in the winning lineup. So it becomes a little harder to do that. So I think some kind of hybrid between GTO and exploitative is good. And that's why I say, uh, like in the example I just gave, maybe playing Melvin Gordon 80%. Because totally exploitative would be 100% Melvin Gordon. So, uh, you know, I say 80%, maybe that's like the high range of his unknown GTO range. And, and you do something like that if you can confidently predict the market will be on the low end of that GTO range. So that's the way I like to approach these things in short slates. And I even tend to like to approach it in NASCAR. I think with NFL DFS, it's a little bit different um, in terms of larger slates, but I think in smaller slates, it definitely applies a lot. Great stuff, Nick. All right, let's get into the games here. Three games, everybody. I'm sure that you know that by now, but let's begin with probably the most interesting game of the day, in my opinion. It's the Vikings at the Lions. We got a game total of 44 and a half with the Vikings favored by three. Nick, how are you planning on approaching this game? Do you think there uh, there will be one side of the game you are favoring more than the other? Maybe perhaps the Vikings, given just how, how good they looked last week against the Rams? Or do you think there's real shootout potential between these two teams? Yeah, um, so I'm going to go back to uh, some stats that J.J. Zacharyson mentioned on Twitter. But essentially, this game has sneaky shootout potential because of the pace these teams play and because of their efficiencies. I like some of the matchups here. Um, I know 
uh, at least in terms of the Detroit side of the passing game, um, Marvin Jones will probably be shadowed and uh, almost surely be shadowed, in, 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 which would be a very tough a tough matchup for Marvin Jones. So he's projected to go up against Xavier Rhodes. Xavier Rhodes is of of all the. Uh, um, I guess the routes that he's faced, he's only given up a target in his direction, 15% of those routes he's faced. Uh, also the lowest catch rate among the Vikings trio of, of, of defensive backs, if you, if you consider a three wide receiver format versus three defensive backs, and the, the, you know, the fewest fantasy points per uh, target as well. So very good corner. Uh, and, and Marvin Jones, I know he likes to get a lot of the deep looks and those, that's something I do like is, is deeper looks and air yards and all that. There's definitely a lot of merit to that, but, uh, I think Golden Tate is probably the play here, but I think the sneaky play is Kenny Galladay. Uh, I think Kenny Galladay gets the distance on, you know, on his targets. So if you, if you look at air yards, his is, you know, in the same neighborhood as Marvin Jones, but he probably will not be drawing Xavier Rhodes. So I think there's a lot of appeal to Kenny Galladay. I know he's splitting time with TJ Jones as kind of a rotation there for that third wide receiver spot. But he did out-snap him around 55 to 45% last week. Uh, he was out-targeted. He didn't get as many targets when he ran routes. But I think a lot of that is uh, just kind of a return to health. I know he missed several weeks there. Uh, and I think when he's fully healthy, he, we could see maybe the Kenny Galladay we saw in that first week or two. Uh, where he had some big play upside. So I'd like him in a slate like this where he might only be 10, 15% owned tops. And uh, I think, you know, I think that's probably about where I'd want to go with him on ownership percentage if I was multi entering, maybe 15, 20%. If you really want to be exploitative, I don't mind something even more crazy because if you hit on him, you're going to be in great shape if, if there's, you know, a handful of touchdowns in this slate. So I think he's. You know, going to be in that 10% range of ownership percentage, like I said, 10 to 15%. And I, I kind of like that as my ownership percentage of him as well. So it's a little more GTO than exploitative. Uh, so if you want to get exploitative on a lower owned play, I think Kenny Galladay is in a good situation here to do so. Uh, alternatively, like I said, I also like Golden Tate. Um, I think Golden Tate is a fine play. He's uh, not Marvin Jones, essentially, and he's a target monster. He gets a lot of targets, and he's pretty dynamic. He can he can make a lot of big plays out of nothing. So, um, you know, I think I think Golden Tate is in a fine situation as well. So as far as uh, the Detroit side of things, I really like attacking this passing game. I'm not a big fan of the running game. This is the worst running matchup on the whole slate uh, for, for Amir Abdullah. Um, I'm not expecting much from Theo Riddick as well. So I, I really like, if you're going to play this uh, game here, and I think you should, I think it's going to have to be through the Detroit passing attack, which means Stafford is also in play. Um, and, you know, if you just look right now at the Fantasy Labs projections for ownership at the quarterback position, Matthew Stafford is projected to be, um, flipping over here, 13 to 16% owned, which would put him as like kind of tied for the second uh, projected ownership quarterback. So um, I think, you know, the Minnesota pass defense, pretty good, uh, but I do think this game has, has shootout potential. Just, the problem is the other quarterbacks in this slate are in really tough situations. Eli Manning uh, just decimated over there in the, in the New York Giants receiving core uh, and on their offensive line. Dak Prescott, tough matchup versus the Chargers. Of course, he always has equity with his legs. Case Keenum, we know he's had some big games, but he's had a lot of duds as well. And Phillip Rivers really hasn't put up a ton of big games at all this year. So when you're just looking at big game potential, I think it makes sense that Stafford's the second, uh, tied second projected quarterback in terms of ownership percentage. Uh, but even then, um, I think I think there's 
some merit to some of these other quarterbacks as well as we'll get into later. So just in the Detroit side of the ball, I like uh, the passing attack, but I really like Golden Tate and some shots with Kenny Galladay. Do you have any thoughts, at least on the, the Detroit side of the ball, that may be similar or different? No, I, I was thinking pretty much along the same lines. The, the running game is just really nothing you can really rely upon in Detroit anymore. As much as I like Amir Abdullah, you, you got to be real about it. It's, with him and Theo Reddick still splitting carries and then just being – both quite ineffective relative to years past, at least on the theoretic side. Um, and with how strong Minnesota's run defense has been, I, I don't think there's really any reason to to take that risk as I, I think the ceiling is quite low. Um, now on the Detroit side, I, I think you're right on with Marvin Jones. I don't expect him. I, he's, a, he's a decent wide receiver, um, and now he's going to draw uh, tough covers from probably one of the top corners in the league. Um, not going to be shadow or anything, but I don't believe Marvin Jones moves around all that much. So, so yeah, I think uh, Kenny Galladay, um, a Golden Tate, and perhaps maybe one of the tight ends. I was thinking somewhat along the lines of maybe not Eric Ebron, but a Darren Fells at a, at a cheaper price tag might be someone that could be an interesting play if you're just really looking for that really um, low percentage player to fill out like a full chalk lineup. But, uh, but yeah, it's... I'm really. I think if you're betting on the lion side, or you're you're going to stack a lot of lions, you're trying to play on the fact that not only do we have a you know a Thursday game here, um, but we have one to where the lions are at home, and I think a lot of people underestimate that. Yeah, definitely, and uh, I think the I think the fells calls is actually pretty interesting as well. Um, one of the other tools I like to use, uh, we mentioned Fantasy Labs ownership projections a lot, but uh, another site that I like to use is rotoql.com, and uh, they have a great, just a ton of awesome stuff there, um, and I think it's worth shelling out the quite expensive price tag for, but uh, um, one of the things they have is kind of a trending topic, so they let you see which what's the interest level for each player, at, you know, each slate. I think part of it, I'm not completely sure how their algorithm is, is done, but I know it's machine learning based. Some of it takes in, I think, news from different sites, and I think also some of it takes in what interest is in people actually building lineups on their uh, platform as well. So, um, you know, if I'm looking at ownership percentage projections from Fantasy Labs, it says Golden Tate should be pretty highly owned in the 30 to 40% range, I believe it is. Um, I need to flip over to Fantasy Labs here. Got too many tabs open. But uh, yeah, so Golden Tate, 30 to 40%, and RotoQL actually um, has him at a plus 0.08, or plus 0.8 hotness rating, which is above his expectation, but I don't think his expectation is that high. If you compare him like to some other guys, um, he, he's you know got much lower rating than uh, guys like Jarek McKinnon or Melvin Gordon. So uh, or Marvin Jones is a minus 0.2, Kenny Galladay is a minus 0.2, so I don't think Golden Tate will actually be that highly owned. I think he he should be um, because he'll get plenty of targets and he's in the better matchup. But I don't think he'll be. I mean, I literally think the fantasy labs projection from thirty to forty percent might be around his ceiling because there's a lot of good plays as we talked about that are in the expensive range, like Melvin Gordon. I could see people getting on Keenan Allen with a good matchup there. Um, obviously, Kirk Cousins will probably be the chalk quarterback play, and he's on the expensive side. So I don't think Golden Tate will be as highly owned as we think. Uh, and, and in that case, that's why I really like getting on him. Um, you, you mentioned the Darren Fells call. I like that. And as you said, any extremely chalky lineup, he's a great contrarian piece there. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily play him in a all contrarian lineup, but I think it is a good way to win a GPP is if you have two or three really contrarian pieces and Fells is one of those. 
Um, so I, I like that call, but uh, you know, you're really just hoping for a touchdown there with Fells and maybe two catches instead of just one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly. You're, you're basically just touchdown hunting and really hoping that um, you know he can just kind of you know come through in the red zone. It's, I think that's all you can really ask. Yeah, for. And, and with that, you're just assigning a probability of him hitting a touchdown. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's five, ten, fifteen percent. And another app that you can use is the Rotoviz Gillespie apps, the tight end app there. And uh, you'll be able to see Darren Fell's upside. It'll kind of give you an idea of, you know, if his upside's four or five points, then the probability of him getting a touchdown is much less than 15%. But if his upside is, let's say, seven or eight points, uh, then it's right around 15% upside. So that's GTO what you would want to play him. So I don't have the Gillespie app open in front of me because uh, I wasn't expecting to talk too much into Darren Fells, but I think that's something you could use um, on the road of his apps. And, and uh, you know, there's different sites that have different upside projections. I know Fantasy Labs has theirs as well. So maybe you just average the road of his and the Fantasy Labs projections for upside, and then uh, you can kind of put a distribution of that and figure out what Darren Fells' probability of a touchdown is. And that's kind of the GTO amount to play him. And if you think he's going to be under-owned than that, if you want to be exploitative, you can go a little bit over that as well. So that's kind of how I'd recommend approaching Darren Fells this weekend. Certainly, certainly. All right, let's 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 transition over to the other side of the ball here, Nick. The Vikings, um, the team that is favored, a team I think is going to be a favorite for many DFS players um, coming off that week to where – you know, they, they went up against a, a very, you know, very quality defense in the Los Angeles Rams, and they were able to put up some decent points. Um, there is, you know, the, the common names we're really going to see, I think, is going to be Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs, um, Case Keenum likely as well. Maybe not as high as those two, but yeah. So how are you going to be approaching this Minnesota Vikings side? Are you going to be possibly looking at the running backs as you expect them to control this game? Um, the wide receivers, the quarterback. How, how are you going to approach this side? Yeah, I think this game, uh, as I mentioned, has interesting shootout potential. And I think the, uh, you know, the Detroit Lions, they are pretty good in the pass game. But I think a lot of that could be kind of a bit overblown. Um, you know, you can still move the ball on these guys. We saw the Cleveland Browns of all teams move the ball on the Detroit Lions, even in the pass game. So, uh, you know, and some broken down plays for Deshaun Kaiser as well. So I, I don't think this is a slam dunk that you have to attack the pass game. Uh, obviously, the, the you know, Detroit Lions rushing DVOA is 22nd, so you can run on them as well. But I think in a game with a shootout potential and a game that's only projected to be a three-point margin by Vegas, there is a wide range of outcomes. Detroit could easily win this game. Um, it's in the dome in Detroit, and, uh, you know, Detroit's a three-point dog and so I think uh, I just think that if you are playing the Detroit passing game, you shouldn't just be relying on the Minnesota running game. You should also actually have some some exposure to the Minnesota passing game, um, and that includes for me Jarek McKinnon, who I think you know if Detroit gets ahead, uh, which is which is not the favored outcome, uh, obviously given that they're a three point underdog, but is certainly within the range of outcomes. Then you should have some Jarek McKinnon exposure. He still has more snaps than Murray the past week. Uh, I know the touches are pretty equal, but he gets more valuable touches in terms of the passing game touches. He hasn't gotten the goal line work recently, but he did in the first game they split. So I think there's always the probability that it returns that way, even though Latavius Murray's actually been pretty good inside you know, the five-yard line of the, of the red zone there, uh, inside the 10 especially. 
So I still think there's a probability Jarek McKinnon gets, you know, either some some inside the five or inside the 10 looks uh, or just gets a lot of that valuable passing game work and and can break a big one and and, and things like that. So I do like getting on Jarek McKinnon and I do like getting on this passing game. One thing that I think will be interesting as the week continues is to follow the dynamic between Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen and their ownership percentage. So the dynamic there in, in terms of those guys, because I'm very curious how that's going to play out. If you look at some of the you know the major sites, they're projecting Stefan Diggs to get shadowed by Slay, which would be um, very much a negative for Diggs there if he were to be completely shadowed by Slay. Uh, the thing here, though, is... Um, you know, I think that could reduce his ownership percentage if, if people go ahead and, and kind of, you know, deal with that, uh, it, 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 you know, think that he's going to get shattered and I think that'll be a negative for him. Um, so if that really does affect ownership percentages, you really need to look at these sites that, that give ownership kind of hotness ratings and, and figure out that. So right now on RotoQL, Stefan Diggs is a 0.4, Adam Thielen a 2.0. So essentially five times, uh, the so Diggs is 0.4 above his his expected trending number, and in Thielen is two above. So 0.4 to two, that ratio is 5x. So Thielen's 5x hotter than Stefan Diggs right now uh, in terms of of versus expectation. And if what's expectation, I don't know. I mean, maybe we could use Fantasy Labs as a guide for expectation. But uh, I think Adam Thielen will be pretty popular relative to Stefan Diggs, but. Stefan Diggs does come into the slot about 20% of the time, and Slay does not is not going to follow him into the slot. Slay has only played 2% of his snaps inside the slot uh, per Pro Football Focus this year. So I actually think Diggs is an interesting play because uh, he could avoid you know Slay on a quarter of his routes maybe. And there's the chance that when both Thielen and Diggs are on the outside... Maybe he actually just doesn't shadow Stephon Diggs because Thielen is so good. And Thielen still plays 44% of his routes on the outsides and has been more so recently. So I'm not 100% sold that Darius Slay is going to shadow Stephon Diggs. He might still, um, but I kind of want to lean a little more towards splitting my ownership between Thielen and Diggs than uh, you know going heavily on Thielen and less on Diggs. So that's just... Just my thoughts there on on the passing game. And then, of course, do not forget about... I think the lost tight end this weekend will be Kyle Rudolph. I think there's um, some sneaky upside potential here if Slay marks out Diggs for a portion of the game and marks out Thielen for a portion of the game. Uh, I think... I, I really just think that uh, Kyle Rudolph could go overlooked. And, um, you know, again, another thing you have to gauge ownership percentage on, but uh, I like Kyle Rudolph because I think... Here's a couple things I think. First, I think uh, Vernon Davis is going to be the chalk at tight end this weekend. So, you know, we kind of, in context of talking about this game, you have to talk about the whole slate. I think Vernon Davis will be the chalk. I think Evan Ingram will be pretty chalky as well, especially if if Sterling Shepard is out. Uh, and that hasn't been determined yet as of the time we're recording this. So in that case, when they're eating up just a ton of ownership percentage, any leverage at the tight end position, if one of these guys doesn't do what we expect, uh, will be huge. And I think Kyle Rudolph has a chance to, you know, put up a, a touchdown and five catch, 70-yard uh, performance, something like that. I think there's a chance. And uh, relative to what Vernon Davis and Ingram, Evan Ingram are owned, we'll have to see how that goes. But I, again, I recommend following your tools there uh, at the different sites you like to use to get, kind of gauge ownership percentage as the slate approaches. 
Yeah, I, I love that, Nick. The The point you made on Stefan Diggs, I think, is just is right on. Um, if you're looking for a spot to where I think you can you, – you're essentially going to get a guy that, for, you know, for the first four weeks of the season, he was the, if I recall right, uh, for the first four weeks, the number one wide receiver in PPR. Uh, the fact that you're going to be able to get him at a lower ownership and a significantly lower price, at least on DraftKings, relative to his um, very talented – um, cohort and Adam Thielen, I, I think that's kind of just a spot you really just hammer heavily if you're able to really, you know, kind of uh, to capitalize on. It. I think that's great. Um, I like to call on Kyle Rudolph as well. Kyle Rudolph, as we know, that every week he has two touchdown potential. We haven't seen it as much given, you know, the development of Adam Thielen. Um, and with Stefan Diggs, kind of relatively healthy compared to years past. But he still possesses, the, you know, that upside of two touchdowns and, you know, being the uh, a guy I think is just as capable as the other two wide receivers. I think he's a he's a great guy to have in your lineups as well. Um, net, net, the one thing we I, I was kind of interested in um, is Case Keenum. Um, looking at the ownership percentages on Fantasy Labs, they are projecting Case Keenum to be one of the lower-owned quarterbacks of the slate, of this Thursday slate, which I thought was kind of interesting relative to the high expectations that a lot of people are probably going to have for the passing game. Do you think that's a mistake um, or in, in the public is possibly making by ignoring Case Keenum? Do you think it's justified? And is he a guy that you're, you think you're going to – kind of um, to heavily go with this this Thursday slate. Here's something I will say. Last year, Case Keenum was uh, almost in the winning millionaire maker lineup against this exact same Detroit secondary. So uh, I certainly think there's upside there. We've seen it from him this year. I mean, he's had multiple games of, of millie maker winning upside, and we don't even have a millie maker for the Thanksgiving slate, but... You know, a 29-point outing against the Redskins, a 31-and-a-half-point outing against the Buccaneers. We've seen two of those games. You go back to the game last year against the Lions, just a monster game as well. This exact same secondary, the exact same five defensive backs, if you include the nickelback and then the two safeties. So uh, it, it's they've definitely better gotten better. Detroit has gotten much better as a secondary unit compared to last year, and they were terrible. Uh, but uh, this is still the same personnel. Obviously, in the first game this year, Case Keenum really struggled but uh, I think you want to use some of him, but I don't think you want to use a ton of him. That said, just because um, Detroit has been so much more improved this year, uh, you know, the teams that, that Case Keenum tore up, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, just horrible. And then the Washington Redskins certainly have their struggles in the secondary. Um, Detroit's been far better. And, and, you know, Case Keenum's upside outside of that has been 18 and a half points, DraftKings points. So, um, I'm not looking for a monster game from Keenum. I think he could be serviceable in terms of like a season long league. I definitely think he has a lot of appeal, even just like as a, you know, a QB one or a, a low end QB one to high end QB two possibility that I don't necessarily think he will achieve that, but I think he's definitely possible there. Um, I just think the extreme upside is a little bit capped, but I don't think it's as low as people think. But then again, we're only at got we only got six quarterbacks to play in this slate, and uh, I think his ownership will still be pretty high, especially because we're only two games removed from that Redskins blow up, you know, the four touchdown blow up against the Redskins, three hundred four yards. So um, I probably want to be about equal weight on the as the field in Case Keenum. I think in that ten percent, fifteen percent range, maybe even a little under. And it's not because I dislike him; I just think. I kind of think there's going to be maybe one Minnesota player or two Minnesota players that go off in terms of touchdowns. 
Uh, but I still think you know Keenum's upside maybe instead of four touchdowns is three. And I think a 300-yard game is a little less likely, even though I think this game could blow up. I think this is a game where I, I just think that in terms of the range of outcomes relative to, to Keenum's you know uh, exposure um, and then the, you know the probabilities in the winning lineup, I think it's it's probably pretty close to what his expected ownership will be. Uh, so I kind of I don't have a strong take on Keenum, but I think you know being in the range of GTO with him is, is where I would approach this. Great stuff, Nick. All right, let's move on to the next game. But before we do. We have a message from our friends over at Draft. Fantasy football fans, listen up. There's no better time than now than to try the new app, Draft. It's one week fantasy football with no management. Just set it and forget it. Once you're done, no trades, no waiver wire. Draft even takes care of those last minute injuries for you. Draft start every couple minutes. So you can hop into one right now. Play in games for as little as $1. There's a draft for everybody. No salary caps. Play in a real live snake draft just like you do with your friends in your season-long leagues. Come and join us on Draft today. Download the app anytime. Just search Draft in your app store and join a game in minutes. Or go on PlayDraft.com and play from your desktop, whichever you'd like. For a limited time only, all new players get a free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit. But you got to use our promo code RVRADIO. That's right, playing a real money game for free. Just using our promo code RV Radio. Just search Draft in the App Store or go to PlayDraft.com and come play for free with the promo code RV Radio. All right, Nick, on to the next game. The Chargers are at the Dallas Cowboys in this one with a game total, the highest of the three at 47 and a half, with the Chargers favored by two and a half. How are you going to be approaching this game? Do you feel there's a nice bounce back spot possibly for the Cowboys to warrant really targeting this Cowboys offense? Or do you think the Chargers really just continue to to roll following that just absolute you know decimation they put on Buffalo? Yeah, uh, this is an interesting game because I've, I'm not really attacking this game a ton. Um, I, I don't, I mean, there is some shootout potential, sure. The, both of these teams have very good offenses. But I think there's a couple situations that, of course, we need to be aware of. Um, first of all, Philip Rivers just hasn't blown up this year. I mean, he's he's just been mediocre in terms of his fantasy output. Uh, you know, if you if you look at Philip Rivers' game log here, um, his his ceiling so far this year in terms of DraftKings points has been 23.88, which you know it's it's okay. It, it could get it done in a short slate if some of the other quarterbacks are pretty bad, but. Uh, at $6,100, that's not a huge, huge upside that he's had this year. Now you say, okay, well, the matchup's against the Dallas Cowboys. Well, that's that's all right. I mean, it's good. It's not great. I think there's certain matchups that are better to exploit for the Chargers receivers than others, and we'll talk about those. But I'm not feeling like a massive blow-up game, at least in terms of the passing attack. So I'll probably be underweight on Phillip Rivers. Um, you know, I, I think... Uh, I think there's there's certainly some things that could go for him if if the running game struggles. But Dallas right now 30th in DVO against the rush, and they're missing Sean Lee, who since they've been missing him has been far worse against the run than they were uh, with him. So I think this is a Melvin Gordon game, and I actually think Melvin Gordon could possibly go underowned. So. I like attacking Melvin Gordon. I know there's been some concerns about Austin Eckler, but he had a late fumble that uh, you know I think I think has um, soured a little bit in terms of his touches. You know, Melvin Gordon had all the first half touches last week, so 
I think Melvin Gordon is the guy here. I really like the situation. I know the opportunity has been coming down a little bit because of Eckler, but I, this is a situation that's pretty hard for me to ignore for Melvin Gordon. Um, and just also with the you know the passing attack here, I'm not just enthused about Phillip Rivers. I'm not enthused about all the matchups here for the Chargers. I mean, what has Tyrell Williams done this year? He has one touchdown. He's barely put up yardage. Um, you know, Mike Williams is now coming on, which I think is an interesting name at the expense of Travis Benjamin. But which one are you going to pick of those two? Because they're going to split, you know, split, I guess, snaps there. Um, they're both going to see the field at times. So it's pretty tough. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's, it's hard for me to stack the passing side of this game. I think you can take shots in the passing game for sure. Keenan Allen, great play. Um, the matchup in the slot is very good. If you, if you look at the history of what Dallas has done versus the slot this year, there's been some big games, for example, guys like uh, Sterling Shepard um, and, and Jamison Crowder. So I think Keenan Allen, very fine play. Um, and then really between Tyra Williams, Travis Benjamin, and Mike Williams, you're kind of tossing darts. And I think uh, you know that should be reflected in the ownership percentages. And I wouldn't go necessarily overweight on these guys because I'm not that bullish on the pass game here. I'm more bullish on Melvin Gordon, Keenan Allen. And I don't mind taking a shot with Austin Eckler as well, but I think he's going to be maybe going to be higher owned than I would like. Uh, that's something, another situation to kind of monitor there with Eckler is what will his projected ownership percentage be. Right now, Fantasy Labs has a 5 to 8%. I think that's okay. If that's if that's where he's going to be, then uh, I kind of just like him in that range. If he's going to be 10 15%, I kind of like just getting almost off of him completely. So something to monitor there with Eckler. But uh, I really like Melvin Gordon. If he's only going to be 40 50% owned, I'll probably go in the, like I said, the, the exploitative end of that GTO range. I don't know if it's going to be a 40% chance he's in the winning lineup or a 60% chance he's in the winning lineup or 35 or 75, but I'll probably be on the higher end of that range with Melvin Gordon. So um, that's kind of where I'm leaning with the Chargers side of the ball. Do you have any any different thoughts on something I'm missing? Uh, no, I, I think you're you're right in how you, sh- you should be approaching this game. I think Melvin Gordon is the likely best play. Um, I will say, though, it, it, it's just kind of a, a quick stat to throw up. Um, three of the last four games, um, Melvin Gordon has only has averaged less than three receptions in those games. He did have one game against Jacksonville where he saw eight targets, which kind of brings us back to the you know the idea that the Chargers are still looking at him as a workhorse. Um, I the only thing that really concerning is Eckler, while he may not be a guy you can play or you you necessarily want to play, it's we're I kind of don't. I'm not as confident in the you know just smash volume spots that we're used to with Melvin Gordon because as we know he's not a very efficient running back he just does it with a lot of volume and he sees a lot of red zone work um and he just kind of has been able to do it um at least the beginning of this year and and last year as well um in this spot against the Cowboys it's I think it's still the the safest bet to go with as as you mentioned the Phillip Rivers is you don't see a lot of those giant games from him, and it's just not something you, you see all that often. So um, probably the best play, I'm, I'm a little more concerned, but on a three-game slate, you just kind of have to just pick your best spots and, and go with them. I will yeah, say— um, I want to jump in here because I think this Melvin mm-hmm. Gordon discussion is super interesting. Um, and, and I and I completely agree about the reduced volume, especially in the past game, um, but I just think— the efficiency here is is a big deal because Dallas has not been good uh, in the run game since Sean Lee has been down. 
Uh, and, yeah. uh, you know, I think there's a, I definitely think there's a debate there between volume and efficiency. Um, but, uh, like, what, what are the running backs that we feel confident about in the slate? So there's a slate dynamic aspect to this as well. And then, um, you know, I, I just think there's there's an overall volume aspect as well. Who else is going to see the volume Melvin, Melvin Gordon will see, even with his reduced opportunity? I think, I, I just think that, um, you know, I think he's, there's some things going in favor. I mean, if, if, if there's the narrative that Austin Eckler is going to take touches away from him and pull away his ownership percentage, and it could be on the lower end of that range, I kind of just want to get on the higher end of that range. Um, just, just. Thoughts I have, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't even like when I first approached the slate, uh, I before I did a lot of research, my gut was to fade Melvin Gordon because of the the reduced volume that we've seen and the, the things Austin Eckler has done in recent weeks. But uh, I'm wondering if that's going to be a mistake this week. And I think, you know, when I dived in a little bit further, the Sean Lee thing, just the fact that I think everybody's gut is to get away from Melvin a little bit more than they want to. Um, I just think, and then just looking at the slate dynamic in general, and I dive in a little further, like what other running backs do you feel absolutely smash confident in? I don't, on any of them, uh, you know, even P Ryan, even though he's going to be the lead back there in Washington, I don't feel confident that he's going to put up a, a respectable game. I mean, the volume will be there and for the price tag, I guess it's nice, but I, I don't, I don't feel confident in any of these other running backs and Melvin Gordon's the only one I feel confident and will get at least a large amount of volume and hasn't been completely terrible this year at different points, you know, uh, or yeah. more than more terrible or more good than terrible. I should say more good, more good. Yes. I, I think that's, I think you're right on with that it, because you have to consider the slate relative, relative to every other option. And while Melvin Gordon does have, you know, he's, I, I guess we don't, we don't get to, you know, talk about that many just perfect fantasy plays all the time as, you know, things just kind of go wrong sometimes, but um, it's all about the process ahead of the results. And I think the process is kind of leading, I, I think it appropriately leads you to a point to where you, ha you have to understand that Melvin Gordon's ceiling is just really unmatched, even by guys like a, like a Samaje Perrine um, in a spot to where he's going to see all the volume, even, you know, better than the, the Vikings uh, running backs too, which we have seen big gains from them. It's just, I think you have to consider just Melvin Gordon's ceiling if you're playing tournaments. And if his ceiling is such to where um, he goes off and you don't have a piece of him, it's essentially just yeah, you're, it's you're almost like weekly to sunk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So really interesting. Um, yeah, let's move it to the other side of the ball. So the Cowboys, um, is it really anyone that you're considering? Possibly the passing game that you think could um, kind of put up a surprising effort against this Charger secondary who has been quite tough? Uh, as of late, um, possibly any of the running backs, do you see them garnering a significant amount of volume to make them fantasy relevant and, you know, with a ceiling in this game? Um, yeah, have, is anyone on the, on the Dallas side that you're super interested in? This is a really weird side because I think uh, you, you might – I haven't even talked to you about this, but I think you're you're leaning in a similar direction towards me, and that's just like – vomiting when you look at this Dallas Cowboys side of things <laughs> yes. because you're like, is there anybody you're super interested in? Like, like implying I shouldn't be interested in anyone. And, and, uh, you know, I think, uh, that's kind of the general consensus of this slate. I think that's why Dak has a five to 8% projected ownership. Um, you know, Dez is $6,400. And, uh, you know, if I look like at his game log and his price log, $6,400 isn't even like the lowest he's been. He was 6,200 last week. So he's more expensive than he was last week. He only put up 14 points uh, against Philadelphia. You know, he's had some some favorable matchups. He's had some unfavorable matchups. And he really just hasn't put up monster games. His best was a 19.3 
point output against the abysmal San Francisco 49ers. Uh, and he had an 18.9 in a surprisingly difficult matchup against Denver, but I'm pretty sure he got his touchdown uh, against one of the non-elite corners. I, I can't remember that completely, so disregard that if I misremembered it. But, uh, you know, I think when we talked about the dynamics of this slate, another thing that we'll have to keep an eye on is is Tyron Smith. Is he going to be out again? I haven't completely checked up on the latest news there, and that will definitely affect what I do on this slate. But if he's going to be out again then uh, it makes it really hard to use the Dallas pass game um, just because they allow, as I talked about with Kevin Cole in the numbers game this past week, that the Dallas Cowboys just allow way too many negative uh, points added in sacks without Tyron Smith. So really tough to play the pass game. I think you could potentially entertain um, portions of the run game because the Chargers have just been so bad against the run. But Alfred Morris, not necessarily the most dynamic runner. I do think he'll get the goal line work, and uh, I, I think he has shown a penchant to occasionally find some good holes and and make some plays. You look at his yards per carry this year, 6.2, so it's pretty good. So I don't mind some Alfred Morris for sure. I think people might get a little bit over uh, towards Rod Smith just because we know the Chargers really struggle in the pass game against uh, running backs. You know, they, they're one of the worst in the league in terms of pass catches to the running back position, which is part of why I like Michelle McCoy last week in addition to the, the large yards per carry they allow. But I think I like the, yard, yard, the large yards per carry. That's tough to say. Uh, more than the potential passing game to the running back in this situation. So I actually would favor Alfred Morris just because I think he has better touchdown upside than Rod Smith as well. And the Chargers, like I mentioned, allow a large yards per carry. And Dallas has opened up some holes for the running backs this year with both Zeke Elliott, who's averaging 4.1, and and Alfred Morris, who's averaging 6.2 yards per carry. So um, if I'm going to play a Dallas Cowboy, surprisingly, it will actually be Alfred Morris for me. That's really interesting I, I, because I I think I'm kind of on the other end here. The, the only one – I'm not interested in any of the running backs. I'm really not even interested in any of the wide receivers, to, to tell you the truth. The only one I think I'm, I'm really interested in is, is Dak Prescott, um, the, with the reason being that we know of Dak's ceiling, um, and, and it's quite high considering you know his, his rushing attempts um, and the, just the amount of rushing touchdowns he just kind of seems to garner every season. This year so far he's got six rushing touchdowns. Um, and in a spot to where I do expect the Cowboys to be trailing. Um, it, and in a spot to where it's, I expect it to be the lower ownership percentage, one of the lower ownership percentage quarterbacks, just given how, you know, what we saw from the Cowboys last week, they just kind of got the, you know, the crap kicked out of them. Um, and, and without Ezekiel Elliott, I think a lot of people are down on this Cowboys offense as a whole. So if we can get a, a I, I think it's fair to say that Dak Prescott's a very good player. At least in fantasy, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. and if and if we can get him in a spot to where he he possesses that high ceiling at a lower ownership percentage, just get, you know relative to people's expectations, um, in the highest total game of the week, why not go after Dak Prescott and just kind of see what happens? So so here's my two things about Dak, and I I like him as a fantasy player, and I think he has potential for a big game, and I'm 100 percent with you there. The problem I have is you need in a in a large slate it's less of a big deal. You could just go naked Dak because there's so many other touchdowns available. But if he does go off, it's likely not going to be a three rushing touchdown game. It's probably going to be a one rushing touchdown game and two passing touchdowns. So you're probably going to need to stack him with a receiver. And then the question becomes who do you stack him with and what is the great play there? So there's slate considerations here when you're going Dak because 
I don't think he's just going to put up a, a naked Dak game and every receiver is going to be irrelevant on a short slate where you need to probably get, like I said, two-thirds of the touchdowns on the slate. So the only way you're playing naked Dak is if you're getting every touchdown almost from the other two games. I think that's really how you'd have to approach this. So uh, I like Dak. I think he has big upside. I'm just trying to figure out who the hell I'm going to pair him with if, if that's going to be the case. And I don't know if you have any strong thoughts there because I sure as hell don't. Yeah, not necessarily. I get, my gut makes me lean towards Jason Witten, but but even that I'm not super confident about because you really can't trust any of these wide receivers. Des Bryant's ceiling has just been significantly capped. Um, you're going to try to decide who you got to pick I kind of wonder if Des is that play, though, because he probably will have reduced ownership percentage because he's been so bad. Um, he I did mention he's not his lowest salary point, but he is at his lower end. And, uh, you know, he's got the perceived, air quote, tough matchup, but he's been bad against both tough and good matchups. So, you know, uh, Josh Hermsmeyer's air, air yards model says he's a buy low. Now, I obviously know that's not adjusting for, for price or anything like that, but, but essentially what he's saying is Des Bryant should have more PPR points right now uh, based off of all the things that matter towards scoring PPR points. So essentially he's been inefficient. And if he has an efficient game, I think he could be that guy. So I actually, if I'm going to play Dak, I actually think I will stack him with Dez. That's a great point. That's a great point. Okay, so maybe that's the play. Maybe if you do decide to kind of play the lower ownership percentage side, just if you're going to take Dak, maybe Dez Bryant is kind of that perfect target. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just curious about his, you know, what his ownership percentage will be just because Fantasy Labs right now says nine to twelve percent. Let me go throw them in on uh, you know on RotoQL. This is literally my process every week is just throwing these names into these two sites and uh, you know, seeing what they do because they have such great tools. Um, but uh, yeah, so let me let me put in Dak and Dez and look at their their ownership percentage projections. So we've got Dez here. He's basically a, a, the same as uh, when we talked about Stefan Diggs, positive point four. Dak's actually a negative .1, so this is a pretty interesting mm. contrarian play uh, for two guys who have really low ownership percentage. I, I don't mind that at all. Um, you know, I was I definitely was having a tough time playing Dak just because I figured, who the hell do I stack him with? But kind of talking through it with you here, Heath, I think uh, I think I might get a little bit on the Dak to Des play. I wouldn't go crazy. It's not a good matchup. But if they're going to be that low owned, I mean, if Dak is going to be 5 to 8% projected by Fantasy Labs, and he's a negative on, on the other side, then I think he could be really low owned. And I think this has some better upside than the combined ownership projection of these two guys. So um, I, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I, I wouldn't go crazy. But if you go 10% on this stack, you know, 10% or 15%, you're going to be overweight, at least on Dak, and uh, Dez you'll at most be equal to the field on, so uh, you might even be overweight on Dez at 15%, something like that. So, um, and, and like I said, I like I don't mind Dez being at 15%. Wide receiver is a much more variable position than the running back or quarterback who have a lot of opportunities coming their way. So I don't mind being um, you know a little over on Dez just in general, uh, even though I don't love the matchup, but I think when you combine in the Dak factor, you can be like equal weight on Dez and over on Dak and be in good shape. Great stuff, Nick. All right, let's move on to the last game. But before we do, fantasy football fans, holiday cash, you need it. I know where you can get it. My my bookie is the place to score serious cash on your sports predictions. Believe it or not, the holidays are just around the corner. While there's plenty of parties, gifts, and spendings 
to be had. It also means there's lots of football, basketball, hockey games, a ton of ways you can score big on every day. Man up and play like the pros on game day. You can play the money line, side, or total. My bookie is your hookup for all of them and offer super fast payouts when you win. Where you bet, where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. If you want to make money betting the games, just go over to mybookie.ag. They're the only site we'd recommend. I trust them, but you don't got to take my word for it. Just check them out yourself. They have odds on every matchup, a mobile site that makes wagering on the go a breeze. Just go check them out today. Join now and MyBookie will match your deposit with up to a 50% bonus. Just use the promo code ROTONFL to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, let's move on to the last game of the slate here. I I don't think there's going to be as much discussion with this one, as at least on the surface, it looks like it's going to be quite a one-sided game, but maybe not. Um... I think this is going to be a spot to where, at least I would predict, Washington to draw a lot of ownership percentage on this Giants team. You know, Coming off a win last week, I, I still think they are one of the uh, worst teams in the league. While the defense may have picked up slightly bit, I'm not quite sure if we should really contribute that to defense picking up or possibly the Chiefs just kind of failing last week. So uh, how are you going to approach this, Nick? Are you looking to eat the chalk on the Washington side? And possibly is there anyone interested on you're interested in on the Giants side of the ball? Yeah, I mean this is this is like you said this is going to be the chalk side here in terms of the weekend is the Washington offense. I'm I'm playing possibly playing this slate a little bit differently. It, not just the slate, but this game a little bit differently than most people. I think it's very dangerous to go with Jamison Crowder as the chalk. Uh, I we I've talked about it before. His floor is very low, um, and I mentioned that last week in the pod when he was the chalk. His ceiling, while he can hit it, he doesn't hit it that frequently. Um, you know, so I think he has a very uh, skewed left distribution, if you'll if you'll call it that. You know, his upside tail is a lot smaller than the fat tails of some other players. Um, so I think. Uh, Jamison Crowder is a guy I really want to get off of this weekend in a short slate where he's going to be the chalk. Right now, Fantasy Labs has him as the highest projected ownership percentage among all wide receivers. RotoQL uh, has him as a plus 4.0. Now, if you remember, Diggs was a 0.4. Thielen was a plus 2. He's double Thielen's uh, hype rating, if you want to call it that. I don't know what they call it, but the trending rating uh, over there at RotoQL. So, Jamison Crowder is the chalk at wide receiver this week. The chalk. And I just don't love the upside, especially when you consider matchup as a factor. I know matchup can be overrated, and Josh Hermsmeyer has been very big on that. But when you also just include the fact that Crowder's upside is low, the matchup, yes, is negative. I think there's some impact to that. Uh, and, and air yards matter. Well, guess who gets the deep passes? It's Josh Doxson. And his rating is plus 1.7 versus Crowder's, which is plus 4.0. Doxson is the second option on this team now in terms of the wide receiver position. Obviously, there's the tight end position and the running back position, but the running back just went out. Their pass-catching running back is no longer there, and they haven't signed a new one. So I expect more targets to go to the wide receivers, which I think people think will go to Crowder, but I think Vernon Davis and Josh Doxson are good plays. Um, I certainly like Vernon Davis against the Giants. He should be chalky. He he will be chalky. I'm totally fine with that. But I like Josh Doxson for the air yards, the depth. 
Uh, he'll even even if he doesn't score a touchdown, he could catch six balls for a hundred yards and get that hundred yard bonus. Put up nineteen fantasy points as a player who is priced seven hundred dollars cheaper than Jamison Crowder. With Crowder, you're really hoping he gets nine catches for a uh, hundred yards because he's probably gonna need nine catches to get a hundred, whereas Doxon will only need six to get a hundred. Um, and I think that's a huge difference, and especially given the matchup. Um, you know, with, with uh, I think it's Rogers Cromartie there in the slot. Uh, I think Crowder, just not a guy I want to be on at his ownership level, much rather have Josh Doxson. So that's kind of how I'm attacking this slate uh, on the Washington side. I think Kirk Cousins is fine. You can stack him. But if I'm stacking him, I'm this is a situation where I want to go exploitative. If Crowder really is going to be that highly owned, I want to exploit that. And I want to go heavier on Josh Doxson. Maybe equal on Vernon Davis, because like I said, I think there's a few good tight end plays in this slate. Um, but I definitely want to go heavier on Doxson than his expected ownership percentage projection. That said, there's also the plausible outcome that, you know, the Redskins get up a couple touchdowns. Maybe it's the pass game. Maybe Pirine, you know, there's a couple plays that Doxson catches the ball and falls down at the five-yard line and Pirine runs it in. Uh, that's certainly a plausible outcome. So I actually don't even think Doxson and Pirine are necessarily negative correlation. I think they could in some ways, just be like neutral correlation. So I don't mind something like Doxon and Pirine and just fading the rest of the Redskins pass game uh, and, and fading Cousins because he's going to be highly owned. Um, he's a plus 4.5. He's the highest owned projected on Fantasy Labs. So Cousins is going to be popular for sure. Um, and, and, you know, in these other lineups where you're not playing Kirk Cousins, I still don't mind using Doxon and Pirine, even together in some cases. I think that's a situation where people look at it and say it's a negative correlation, but it might not actually be a negative correlation on this slate. And so that's how I'm at least attacking the Redskins side of the ball. Yeah, I, I really like that approach a lot. I, I think really attacking Josh Doxon, going after Vernon Davis as well, just given how good the matchup is. Um, I, I love that. And uh, um, don't forget Ryan Grant for a touchdown, maybe. <laughs> that, that's the question I was going to ask you. Right, Ryan Grant's ceiling, is it just too low to really kind of um, throw in any sort of significant investment in him? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to say. He He's <laughs> been pretty good at times and been pretty efficient. He's going to be super low-owned. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't mind the fact that Washington is down another pass catcher in, in Chris Thompson, so they're going to have to throw somewhere. Ryan Grant will not be drawing the matchup that uh, Doxon is drawing there, so... Um, I certainly don't mind being a little overweight on Grant as well. I kind of like Grant more if you're stacking him with Cousins than if you're doing this kind of, uh, like I said, not playing Cousins um, type deal. I kind of like stacking him with Cousins because um, then you're just getting, if Grant scores a touchdown, obviously it's coming from Cousins. So um, I like using Grant more if I am stacking him with Cousins than without but I guess I could see a situation where maybe Cousins doesn't have a great day, but his one touchdown is to Grant. So I think there's merit in both. Um, but uh, I think if you're doing a Redskins stack, the good way to be contrarian is with Grant instead of using a lot of Crowder. So obviously Doxon and Vernon Davis, but but even Davis would be pretty chalky. But maybe doing something like a Doxon and Grant would be pretty chalky if you're stacking with Cousins. So I don't mind that for sure. I like being a little overweight on Grant than uh, you know his projected ownership because right now, if you if you look at him, um, fantasy labs. Well, fantasy labs has him nine to twelve, but Rotoqueel has him as a negative hotness rating. Uh, if you want to call it hotness rating, I, I'm throwing out eight hundred different names here, but uh, for this <laughs> this this Rotoqueel name, but uh, he's a negative point five, so he's not yeah. going to be highly owned. 
Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and then one quick question. So um, you are a Redskins fan, so I, I'm assuming you've seen the usage of the the running backs on a, on a weekly basis in Washington under Jay Gruden. He has been a guy that is very clear on dictating which running backs are going to do which, and he really has not had – um, at least in, in his history as an offensive coordinator in Cincinnati and his time as a head coach in Washington, um, a running back that does both, you know, see significant touches rushing and then significant touches in the passing game, at least in the same game. Now, Byron Marshall was in the game last week. He did not really see much of any work, and he's Samaji Perrine's only backup, I believe, at this moment. Are you worried about him coming in and it possibly taking those passing down touches from Perrine? Or do you think Perrine just has such a significant gap in, in terms of talent and understanding the offense more that Perrine should see both uh, touches on the ground and in the passing game? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's the $64,000 question right there is what are they going to do with with P. Ryan in the pass game or are they going to go to Byron Marshall in the pass game? Um, you look at Byron Marshall's game log, uh, which is only, of course, one game long. He has zero targets, so who the hell knows? If you look at P. Ryan's game log, he has at most a three-target game, and that was week six against San Francisco 49ers. He had two last week. Of course, Thompson still played uh, just under half of that game, I think it was. But uh, I think what they do is they just end up shifting those targets towards Vernon Davis, even towards – I know I, I mentioned Faden, but I think – some towards Crowder, maybe Grant. Um, I think Doxon doesn't actually necessarily get a bump in targets, but I still like him just from a theory, ownership, all that stuff point of view. Um, but So I think the, the targets mainly just shift. I think Pirine could actually see a bump in targets and uh, kind of just be the lead back, uh, air quote lead back. I'm not uh, I'm not sure you know if Byron Marshall will will be that guy at all. I, I you know he's expected to serve as the third down back, but uh, you know and, and and you're right with with Gruden's history there, they do have a kind of clear roles defined. I'm just uh, I'm skeptical. I, I, I guess I'll say that I'm skeptical that the guy who has zero targets this year and has only played one game uh, will suddenly you know, I guess be the guy there. I mean, they, I guess they didn't feel the need to sign anyone. Obviously Andre Ellington got released by the Cardinals and it, it doesn't really make sense to sign him on a short week and play him or anything like that. So, uh, but they, they also didn't feel the need to sign him in, ahead of time for the next week and, or things like that. So, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I honestly, I'm a Redskins fan, but I have no idea what's going to happen with this breakdown here. Um, you know, so the reports from the Redskins beat is that Marshall is supposed to be the third down back. So I think we have to take that in consideration, which lowers P Ryan's expectation a little bit. But, uh, I still think there's a situation where P Ryan could, uh, just run the ball pretty well, get a couple touchdowns and even get a little bit of an increase in passing work just because there's so much of a void there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- I think you're actually right on target there with, with the expectation of just really moving those targets from Thompson to the wide receivers and the tight ends. I, because Perrine was never really a big pass catching back in his time in college. I will um, say though, when, uh, so sorry to interrupt there. I think this is mm-hmm. an interesting fact. When I did the Redskins beat interview and I did it with uh, Mark Bullock, who's just an awesome guy. Uh, he did both of our Redskins beat interviews on the podcast this year. He said that, um, you know, he, he said that Chris Thompson was very clearly the third down back. Well, with him gone, I don't know what's going to happen, but what I do know is when I was looking into that, 
P. Ryan comped really well to a couple guys who have turned out to be better pass catchers than we thought. One of those being Eddie Lacy, who when in Green Bay was a much better pass catcher than we ever thought. I know he's gotten uh, a little bit out of shape and not as good as, as he was in his first couple years in the NFL. He comps well to TJ Yeldon. He comps well to uh, Joe Mixon, who actually can catch some stuff in the pass game there, which was his own teammate. Um, but... Uh, you know, in college there. So I think Piran has a little more catching you know, potential than we think, just based off of our road of his comps. But, uh, you know, it's still just kind of speculation at this point. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And even with Chris Thompson leaving the game last week, he still only saw two targets and then 23 rushes on the ground. So, so yeah, I think there's I think there's reason, a little reason for optimism. But uh, I guess we'll see. Um Let's, let's move on to the the other side of this game. The Giants, um, it's a it's a tough run defense on the Washington side. They've been doing very well against opposing running backs, and the Giants' running game as it is is one that I think is not all that. Um, it's not great for a, a fantasy situation, should I say? Um, the secondary has been at least a, a little more open than uh, we thought prior, you know, previous in the year. Um, is there anyone on this giant side that you're really interested in or you can kind of get behind as like a low ownership play? Um, well, obviously I think Evan Ingram is Evan a Ingram. fire play. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the, the Redskins allow, I think it's the third or fourth most yards to tight end this year. And, uh, he's the, literally their only good option at this point in time. Um, they have some other, other guys like King or Lewis who are, uh, not very good or, or whatever. But, uh, Ingram, I think you could you can definitely play. I got a, suddenly a bout of the hiccups here, but uh, you know it might, it's not the beer or anything. But uh, <laughs> but I think Evan Ingram is the the play. Is the question is what will his ownership percentage be? So um, again, it, it's such a theory based thing. What is Evan Ingram going to be? What is Vernon Davis going to be? What is uh, a guy we didn't talk about in San Diego, Hunter Henry? What is he going to be? Um, you know, Witten, Rudolph, all of these things I think comes into play relative to their range of outcomes. If you look at Davis versus Ingram right now uh, on Fantasy Labs, for example, um, he's projected to be maybe two-thirds of the ownership percentage of Vernon Davis. So Ingram, two-thirds of what Vernon Davis is. Davis about 30 to 40. Ingram about 21 to 25. Uh, RotoQL, in terms of the the trending rating, is about twice that of Evan Ingram. So, um, you know, I think that's an interesting thing as well. And I, it makes me like going to Dachshund a lot more and then kind of running it back with Ingram if I am going to stack Cousins and do something like Cousins, Grant, Dachshund, Ingram, uh, you know, if, if we're going to go passing game here. But I don't see a ton of upside here for the Giants. They're also missing a couple offensive linemen. They're missing all the receiving weapons. And then uh, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I know Orleans Darkwa has, has got a bunch of attempts but he's still only on the field for less than 50 percent of the snaps so it makes it tough to trust his upside i think if you really want to take a dart it's got to be one of these other giants receivers and uh at that at that that said i would lean more towards Tavares king than roger lewis just because he'll avoid josh norman a little bit more yeah yeah definitely and just so everyone knows it, it does look like sterling shepherd is not going to play he's a he's a dnp on tuesday so it looks like that migraine issue is somewhat serious all right so before we go nick um defenses defenses is there really one or two in particular that you, that you think you're going to stick with or you kind of going to really play more of a grab bag type approach i guess outside of the you know the giants uh what are, what are your thoughts there 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I think with defense, it's really storyline-based, right? Like, what storyline are you using in your lineup? You know, are you using a storyline where Washington just goes off and shuts down the Giants? Then that's fine. Use Washington. They're going to be the chalkiest defense, but that's how you should play your lineup, right? Uh, So defense, I'm literally just looking at storylines. If I'm saying a storyline where, well, maybe I'm playing Evan Ingram and maybe... Maybe I'm playing uh, King or whatever. You know, I think uh, there's a situation where this game shoots out a little bit. I want to avoid Washington. Then what you do is you play Washington's pass game, I think, in that situation. And you play the Giants. So you almost game stack this. And then you play another defense, right? So what is that other defense? Well, I think there's some other storylines that could develop. One, maybe the, maybe the Detroit defense just shuts down Case Keenum like they did earlier this year. So you can play Detroit's defense. Another, maybe the Chargers defense, you know, the Dallas is, is just got a, a poor situation there. Maybe you play them. Or maybe, uh, you know, you go that, that, that Dak Prescott lineup and naked Dak and, uh, or not naked Dak, but, you, you know, you go Dak and Dez and so you can't really use the Chargers. Um, then you just have to figure out, you know, what the hell defense am I going to use? And, and, and at that point, you're right. You almost just kind of take a, a dart and throw it at the board. But uh, mostly I'm playing storylines with these defenses. All right, great stuff. All right, this this podcast is a little bit long, but I think you all uh, will enjoy it. It's yeah, I mean, just... he, this was this was a three game slate, and we just did an hour long <laughs> podcast. So, what's going to happen on our uh, Sunday slate podcast here in a little bit? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll try to we'll try to keep it a little bit a little more condensed for you yeah. guys. Yeah, but all right, that's going to do it, everyone, for that edition of on the, the Daily. Please remember to rate and review the Rotoviz Radio channel on iTunes. Be sure to get that 30% discount for subscribing to Rotoviz through the Rotoviz Radio channel, rotoviz.com/podcast. Be sure to check out our second episode this week where we'll be covering the main slate, getting you ready for this Sunday. And yeah, that's it. So for Nick Kiffin, who you can find on Twitter at @rotodoc I'm Heath Kruger at HeathK on Twitter, and we'll talk to you soon. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.